All right, good morning, Ville Church. Good morning. If you are not new, you are probably wondering what is going on. Because usually we sing a whole bunch more at the beginning of our service. Fret not. Uh, we are going to be moving all of the music, except for the first song, uh, to the end of the service as well as communion. Um, because today for the month of July, we are launching a series called Worship Music. So um, you're also going to notice that on each of the slides, there is a mobile number, 833-459-4064. And I want to encourage you, pull out your phones, save this number. You can save it in your phone as Sermon Q&A. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. Uh, throughout the month of July, if you have any questions whatsoever, uh, anything that you want our pastors to go deeper on, you can text those questions to this number and we will get all of them. And, and, and I think most of you know that usually on Mondays, a handful of our pastors, we go into our studio and, and we answer some of the most, the biggest kind of like unaddressed questions from the sermon. Uh, we make videos, we host all of them on what's called Village Church Digital. You can see well over a thousand episodes that we have done there. And our desires to help you go deeper into God's word, our desires to foster questions, and we want to go after them. So here's a few rules on the questions. Um, this is designed to be for us to hear your questions about the sermon. And so um, if you have like, I don't know, snarky thoughts, you can send them, but it's not something we respond to. So if you want a response, this is probably isn't going to be it. Um, although if you want to share, we'd be happy to read whatever you have to write. Um, that being said, uh, here's kind of like the rules. You can text anytime you want. If it's three in the morning and you are taking care of your child in the middle of the night, and you're holding them, and you can't sleep, text away, right? Uh, it could be in the middle of a sermon. Uh, we get them all in batches and emails, so you don't have to worry about waking anybody, anybody up. Um, I also cannot guarantee that we're going to be able to answer everybody's questions. That does not feel possible. So we're not actually going to be recording this week, but next week we're going to go in and we're going to begin um, go addressing some of the questions you have. Some of your questions might actually get put into a sermon. Some of the answers your questions might get put into a different show that we do on Village Church Digital. Some of them are going to get answered um, on Sermon Q&A. And so check those out. And then also what you can find is we're just launching um, our Village Church Digital Instagram page. I, I know some of you are like, really, why are we talking about this? Because this is actually how so many people are receiving deeper teaching on God's Word. So one of the things we're launching in about a week and a half is called The Panel, and it is 13 episodes on love, dating, relationships from a biblical worldview where we kind of coach young people in the next generation to handle the relationships to the glory of God. That will be on uh, Village Church uh, uh, digital Instagram as well, so you can check all of that out. All right. Have you ever woken up from a dream and felt as if it's real? Has you ever had that? I had a dream not too long ago where my wife plotted to kill me. The worst part of the dream was that I woke up and it was real. <laughs> I was dreaming inside of a dream. It was dream inception. So I woke up <clears throat> and I thought it was reality, but in fact, I was still dreaming. And I was wrestling through all of these emotions of grief of sadness, of anger, the implications for my children and my family. What am I going to tell the church? What am I going to tell? What am I going to tell my friends? And I, and I remember just this weight of like rage and sadness. And then I actually woke up. 
And I looked over and sitting next to me was my wonderful, non-murderous wife and the mother of my children. And I looked over at her peacefully sleeping. And you know what emotion I felt deep in my soul? Rage. (laughs) Pure rage. And it took me hours for that emotion to settle down. In fact, I woke up and I left the house because I didn't even want to have to deal with the emotion. What's fascinating to me is that I will pay to watch movies and listen to music that actually make me feel these same kinds of emotions. In fact, I think the best movies, and you know this, they immerse you into the story almost to the point where you forget you're you and you start to feel as if you are the characters. You guys have like movies in your mind that you're thinking about right now? Music has a similar power. I have, I have music that makes me feel calm. I have music that makes me feel energized. I have music that makes me feel nostalgic. I have music that makes me feel reflective. And the power to create art that moves people's minds and emotions It can be used for great good and great evil. Amen? Like, why are we like this? Why are we we so easily influenced and shaped by people who can move our emotions? And here's the reason. God has designed us this way. We've been designed to be moved and to be formed by story and by melody. And when you take story and melody and you put them together, it is one of the most transformational forces in the world. And this is why movies and music can be one of the most God-glorifying venues for worship or one of the most evil and destructive to the human soul. And when you take story and melody and you add to it biblically rooted truth. And the people of God come together and in unison declare the worthiness, the goodness, and the truth of God. It shapes our minds and our souls. And we're made this way. And so the goal of this series is to really help you bring as much glory to God. Now let's define the term worship, music. Uh, This is songs for God's people designed to help our soul praise God. One of my favorite definitions of, of worship is that it is prayer to melody. It is us declaring to God, talking to God in unison, but it's prayer to melody. So when people say, why don't you guys pray more in the service? We spend about half of our service praying through melody to God and adoring him. These are prayers of thanksgiving, adoration, confession, and requests to God through our Music. The New, the New Testament identifies there are various different kinds of songs that local churches sing. They're called psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and new songs. And we're going to dig deeper into all of these categories throughout the month. But so much scripture is written about not just how we worship, but what we worship. In fact, we could take an entire semester just taking all of the scriptures that apply to how, why, and what we sing together corporately it could fill up this whole semester. So worship music, uh, it is one of the most emotional subjects. So I am pretty well aware that for many people, this is going to kind of provoke some of the undealt with wounds in your heart. And that's just part of what happens as we preach through the word of God. People go to church because of their music. 
People leave church because of their music. People are literally sitting in churches all throughout the world on Sunday morning with their arms folded and just bitter at the music that is happening in front of them. Right? Yeah, Connie, thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> she's not that way, but she's, she's a really good imitation, I must say. But they're bitter and they're furious. People are letting, we'll just say, sin in them and things around them steal the privilege of them that they have in that moment to adore and give God what he deserves. And one of the things I'm so glad about is that far before I ever got here, there was a group of pastors that kind of dealt with some of these issues so that as I've been here for, I think, over 20 years now, um, it, this has not been an issue that I've had to deal with. We've not had these worship wars going on in our church, and I praise God for that. So big three, three big goals for this series. Number one is I want to, I want Village Church to give God as much glory as humanly possible. Amen? Number two, I want to prevent the worship wars from ever getting a foothold in our church. And why don't we just call them for what they really are, which is worship preference wars, by and large. Now, if we're dealing with something that is unbiblical, if we're dealing with something that is not rooted in God's truth, those are discussions I want to have. We want to invite all your questions, but doggone it, we're not going to give the evil one a foothold in this church on what is not a primary issue. Number three, I want to lay a foundation for generations to come of worship music that brings God glory and forms people. Because there are a whole bunch of new people who've been coming to church, and we have a ton of kids growing up in this church, and our worship style, our worship music, how we do things is forming an entire generation of how they see God. And we want to make sure that we are doing is we are intentionally forming the next generation, particularly through how we worship together. All right, open up your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 100. And in fact, we're going to spend the vast majority of our time in just one singular verse, Psalm 100, verse 1. We don't know who wrote Psalm 100. We don't know the occasion of its writing. We know two facts. Number one, the author wrote Psalm 100 to instruct and help people, the people of God, to worship emotionally. Now, I need you to hear me. We've got a handful of sermons coming up, and next week we're going to be talking about worship music that is rooted in truth and reality in God's Word. We're going to get there. But this week, we're actually going to spend most of our time focusing on the emotions and the attitude of of the worshiper. The second fact we know about Psalm 100 is that it is a psalm that is inspired by God. It is good and right, so we want to mine it for what is true and real in it. So here we go. The psalmist says in verse 1, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I want to show you three truths from this singular verse. Truth number one. God created you to verbally and physically express joy. If this is new information to you, I'd like to introduce you to what's called your face. It has eyes, and it has a smile, and little different things you do with it to communicate and to express. You have hands, right? Some of you, who are the hand talkers here? There we go. Yeah, took a minute, but yeah, there we go. Like, you're expressive, and, and you are created by God and the image of God to express the things that are going on inside of you. So let's... Let's think about this from answering a question. What is a joyful noise? 
Clearly the joyful noise is an expression. This in, in, in the Old Testament is singing, shouting, instruments, clapping, dancing, and other expressions, outward expressions of happiness. So what I find fascinating is how the ancient Jews worshipped. The, the, the ancient Jewish people were a very emotional and expressive culture, very unlike many, many cultures in the West and in America, especially unlike many of the cultures that you in this room or watching online grew up with. They grieved loudly. They worshiped loudly. Like many of you, if we plucked you up and put you into one of their uh, temple or synagogue worship services, you would be uncomfortable because you would just be standing there nervous to even move your hands, right? You know this. This is normal. This is what we see all the time. And I think there are three really, really big challenges for much of the American church, particularly the Western church, how we think about emotions and we compare them to how the ancient Jews and the biblical authors thought and talked about emotions. So here's number one. Western culture stifles expressions of emotion while ancient Jewish culture celebrated them. You see the difference? If your culture, if your heart culture dances and shouts, you're going to have a much easier time with the commands of scripture. You're, you're gonna hear what they say and you're gonna go, amen, let's dance, let's shout, woohoo, and you're gonna be that awesome person who claps at the end of every song and you're gonna mean it, right? That's normal for you, but that's, that's like most Christians in America struggle to even get a hand above halfway, let alone to clap and applause or anything of the sorts or to shout or to dance. Like those are, those are like next level things, right? Western culture number two enforces the mantra, do what you feel where even Christians are petrified to tell another Christian to do the opposite of what they feel. This is how deep it is now into our soul and our culture. So somebody says, I don't feel like going to church this morning. You know what we should be able to say to them? Are you dying? Are you sick? Are you contagious? No, get up, get off your butt and go to church. We don't say that because that's mean, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that is required to honor the feelings over what is right, true, and expected. So even in the church, we are petrified, and truth-tellers, even the ones who do it in love, are seen as not compassionate. You know this. Biblical culture celebrated doing what is right despite what we feel. And so for the Christian we are, we are informed by our emotions, but we do not serve them. Our emotions do not determine what I give to God or what God is due. If I come into this room and I don't feel like giving God glory, it doesn't matter because he deserves it no matter what we feel. And so this is really challenging because as American Christians, what we feel should determine how we worship. And biblically, that is backwards. That is idolatry. That makes you the center of worship and not your God who deserves worship no matter what we bring to the table. Number three, Western culture sees emotions as simplistic, like binary. It's either this or that. I'm either sad or I'm happy. In, in kind of the Western notion, we feel one emotion at a time. And when we feel this singular emotion, all other emotions don't exist. 
<clears throat> the, the, the biblical writers seem to have a different approach to emotions. They see emotions not as binary, not as this or that, but they see emotions as layered. I wanna, I wanna illustrate this with you. Emotions are like snow in my front yard and backyard. I hate snow. Hate it. Yesterday was a delightful day. I walked into the house, I walked up to my wife, and I said, just these words, I hate snow. That was it. So delighted. It was beautiful. It was warm. It was nice. It was a great day. Snow, on the other hand, is from the devil. Prove me wrong. <laughs> no, the reason I say that is from the fall. This is my little conviction. Because even though it's a great analogy in scripture, I just don't see it on the new earth. I don't know. On the new earth, I'm just, I'm imagining with resurrected bodies. It's not always. I could be wrong. Whatever. But when I look out in the winter, all I see is snow. And, and snow is like that dominant negative emotion that you feel. It covers everything. You know what I'm saying? It's grief. It's sadness. And, and, and it's just covering everything. So when you look out, all you see is snow. And snow gets in the way. It gets in the way of doing normal things like parking my car, like walking to the house, it can be slippery, it can be dangerous, and sometimes I just need to get out my shovel, and I need to shovel the driveway, and I need to make a path to my front door. And just because I shovel the snow out of the way for a time, does that mean I'm denying the snow's existence? No, in fact, what does the snow reveal to me? The snow reveals to me that there is ground that I can walk on and there is grass that is still brownish green underneath, and it gives me deep hope. That one day, one day this snow will melt. Spring is coming sure as the sun rises in the morning. But it also reminds me that underneath the snow is something solid and unshakable and unmovable. The snow just covers. It comes and then it goes. And it's annoying and it gets in the way. And, and you got to deal with it. You can't ignore it. But when you come into church, sometimes you have to shovel the driveway because the Lord deserves adoration and praise despite what we feel. Does he not? And I get it, snow's annoying. And I'm not asking you to like look away from the snow. I'm not asking you to act like it doesn't exist. Like that's a binary that Americans think in. I can set aside grief for a moment and give God what he deserves for a moment, anytime. I have the choice and I'm not ignoring it. I'm not treating it like it's gone. I'm not suppressing it. I'm putting it in its temporary place. But number two, Choosing to sing joyfully in God's presence, it's actually a command. So read Psalm 100 verse 1 again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And it's not an isolated command. It's a really frequent command. In fact, the New Testament picks up this theme, and I want you to hear these. It chimes in and says, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always. Or Romans 5.3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Do you see how they're not treating emotions as it's one or the other? That you can actually choose rejoicing and experience suffering and grief simultaneously. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And then I imagine somebody says, are you sure? And he says again, I say, rejoice I want you to listen to a phrase that comes up in the Old Testament a couple times. One example is in 1 Chronicles 13, 8. 
says this, David and all Israel were celebrating before God, look at this, with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. Second Chronicles 30, 21. And the people of Israel who were present in Jerusalem, they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests, they praised the Lord day by day. Listen to this. Singing with all their might to the Lord. To put your might into, into something means you need to give it your all. It means that there's actually an obstacle. I guarantee you, if we could interview the thousands of Levites, the singers, and we said to them, did you feel like giving God glory, adoration, and worship day by day, all day long? Do you know what they would have said? Probably not. Like if I, if I go to like a worship night after about one hour and 10 minutes, I'm done. I'm like, I, I, my, I need to think, I need to rest. I've been like, I've only got so much in me. Now, will I go longer? Yes, but it requires might at a certain moment. It requires overcoming the natural inclination of what is inside of me. And so what this means is that the people of God, they come together because of who God is and what they're celebrating. And, and, and they're kind of just acknowledging the reality that some of them don't want to, but what we feel does not determine what God gets. And so sometimes you come into church and you have to worship and sing with might. It actually takes energy. It takes you overcoming something. Because here's what we know. The goodness of God, what he deserves, is not rooted in what I feel like doing or how good I feel about God today. The authors of the scripture, know, they know this. You, you typically can't control how you feel. If you could control how you feel, it would be a wonderful world and we would choose to feel great all the time, would we not? What you can't control is your attitude. And what I've learned is that when I have a bad attitude, do you know what I feel when I invest in my bad attitude? Bad feelings. What I've also learned is that when I have a good attitude, the good attitude doesn't always make me feel better about everything right away, but do you know what? typically follows when I choose a good attitude, more positive emotions. And so it's interesting that I think so much of what it means to worship with joy, particularly when you don't want to, is we choose an attitude of joy even if the emotion isn't there. And one of the gifts of God is that when we choose joy, when we choose to reflect on the goodness of God, when we choose to reflect on our salvation and what he has done and who he is and what is objective and what is true, when we choose to put that to melody and then to join with the people of God and to root it in God's word and declare it together in unison as one, it has the power to begin to change you and to remind you of what is true and what is real. But if you listen to your emotions, we'd sleep in every Sunday, right? If you listen to your body, it says, ah, I don't have the energy, I don't want to, but what is good and what is right? Consider the attitudes uh, that we find in the rest of Psalm 100. So look at verse two. Serve the Lord with gladness. He does not say serve the Lord if you feel like it. Serve the Lord with gladness. And when you come into his presence, we come into his presence with singing. Singing is a response to something good and glorious. And it's natural that in the Bible, when beings come into the presence of God, they sing because it is the soul crying out worship. Verse four says, enter his gates 
with thanksgiving. It does not matter what is going on in your life. There is much to thank God for. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless him. Now, there is an exception to the rule lest you think that I or the writers of scripture are just cold-hearted and we don't care about your emotions. Uh, the book of Psalms is the songbook of Israel, of the nation of Israel. It was sort of like their hymnal. And there are psalms for every single emotion you can imagine. Uh, are you depressed? There are psalms. Is somebody literally trying to end your life and generations after you? There's a psalm for that. Is someone trying to ruin your reputation? There's a psalm for that. Are you happy? There's a psalm for that. Are you really grateful? There's a psalm for that. Have you just been exposed in your sin and you need to repent? There's a couple psalms for that. Like you choose the human experience and by and large, there is gonna be a psalm written for God's people to come together and to worship. But here's what they did. They have different kinds of psalms for different kinds of occasions. A king is being coronated, they have a psalm for that. There is like a a funeral service, if you will, there's a psalm for that, but by and large, those are seasonal, these are temporary things. The default of God's people is that they come together and they sing with joy when it's not one of these one-off experiences. That is the default rhythm of how the Jews worshiped. Here's the third truth from Psalm 100. Choosing to sing joyfully in God's presence, it's possible. I want to share with you four reasons why it's possible. Number one, I can choose joy because God saved me dramatically. This is a fact if you have trusted in Christ, no matter how terrible things are going. One of the, one of the tools that I, I personally use is, particularly when I'm just feeling blah, is I paint a picture in my brain of who I would be and where I would be if Jesus hadn't intervened in my life. And when I, when I start to look at the sin patterns that I struggle with as a Christian, and then I imagine just doing those times 10, I imagine pushing God away, I imagine the things I would indulge in, I get a pretty clear picture of who I would have become had Jesus not intervened in my life. For some of you, you're like a brand new Christian. And that image, you don't have to wonder. You know exactly who you would have been had Jesus not intervened in your life. Some of you, you've been a Christian for a few years, but you know, you looked at high school, college, your young years, and you know what you were capable of. The fact that you are here is a miracle of God. He saved you from your sin. And so when you think about like just coming into church, if you have anything to be joyful about, it is that God has saved you. God help us had he not. I can choose joy number two because God cares for me personally. Whatever snowy emotion that I feel, whatever it is that's just covering all of my mind and all of my life, he wants me to bring all of that to him. And so it's not uncommon that when I am singing, I have these burdens on my heart, these heavy, heavy things. Um, Just to be honest with you, like as I think about the world and what happens globally, I am just burdened by this. And there is always something to be burdened by, amen? It's a war somewhere. Someone we love is sick. There's always something somewhere that if we set our minds to it will consume us. But when we come together, we're not acting like those things don't exist. We're not shoving them away and just being like, well, I can't see it, I can't see it. We are choosing to focus on our God 
who cares deeply for me in this moment personally, who has given me the Holy Spirit, who is encouraging me and training me and rebuking me and correcting me and forming me and, and teaching me and helping me. And so here's what I know. Like I know when I come to worship, God cares for me personally and I can worship him for that because even, even though the ground is covered with six feet of snow, it feels like sometimes, he is still with me and loves me personally. I can choose joy because God is working in me powerfully. Here's just my basic assumption. Everyone in this room, the Holy Spirit is working. You might be snoring right now. The Holy Spirit somehow is gonna work through this morning in one way or another. He is always active. Somebody walks in the church late, uh, leave, uh, leaves early, doesn't talk to anybody. Here's my assumption. The Holy Spirit is working in that person's life. I am preaching and the Holy Spirit is working on me right now. I just have this assumption that he is powerfully at work in everyone's lives, whether I can see it, feel it, or sense it or not. And so I worship him because I know that for the people that I love, he is working their life. I think about my children. He is working in their life. I can worship him because he is good and he is working powerfully. I can choose joy because my God has secured me eternally. All of this is temporary and fleeting. The snow is gonna melt and one day we are gonna have resurrected bodies on a brand new earth without sin and every single tear will be wiped away. There are gonna be emotions that we feel now. There's gonna be snow that covers the ground that is gonna be gone forever. You will never ever experience grief or sadness or weeping on the new earth. Praise God. And so I can worship him because here's what I know. I am secure. My salvation, the moment I trusted in Jesus, was permanent and forever. And no matter how dumb I am, it cannot be lost. I cannot undo what God has done in me. I cannot take away a salvation that he gave to me and sealed with his Holy Spirit. It is final and it is permanent. So I look at this world and my struggles and I, I look at God's covenant faithfulness to me personally. That's not just me. It's each one of you who trusted in Jesus Christ. I can choose joy despite the snow on the ground because God saved me dramatically, cares for me personally, is working in me powerfully, and has secured me eternally. So here's what all this means. You and I are capable of worshiping joyfully even when we don't feel like it. I want to share with you three so what's, and I want to get really practical, and I want to put some rubber to the road. Number one. Address what stands in the way of you worshiping joyfully. So there are four categories of obstacles that stand in the way. Let's take these one at a time. Number one is what we call annoying things. These are things I can't really control. They're distractions. They're irritating. Some of it is bad sound. And this is why our production guys work so hard to make sure that the sound for you uh, is actually helpful so that you can sing, you can hear the words, you can see the words, you can participate together. That, that is the goal. But sometimes you're, you'll be in an environment where the sound is piercing to your soul. And that's annoying. Sometimes it's just poor musicianship. Sometimes um, some people get up and they should not be playing instruments whatsoever. Sometimes you just have bad tech and bad tech can make things really distracting and really annoying. Like when screens go out and there's feedback and you're trying to figure out what it is. It's just really annoying. Some of you, it's really annoying because you stink at singing. I am the worst, like objectively the worst. 
Um, my children tell me all the time, Dad, stop singing. It's not good. I am convinced that when I sing, somehow the blood of Christ functions like auto-tune, and then the Father hears me perfectly in tune, and that's my mediator. Otherwise, he would plug his ears. The second kind of obstacle is what we would call hard things. These are realities that I have to give back to God every single time I come to worship. So it might be past church hurt, particularly related to, to worship music. Um, for some people, that's actually a pretty poignant wound. For some people, it's a season of grief. You didn't choose it. You're not in the season of grief because of sin, but you still need to be able to come into corporate worship. And what is still true and objective is still true and objective. God is good. He loves you. He cares for you. He secured you. He has saved you. And so you walk in and metaphorically speaking, you have to shovel the snow off the driveway so you can walk on solid ground just for a few minutes. Sometimes it's just lack of experience. So like if you're a newer believer, what we do when we sing is weird to you because we all stare at a screen, read words, and then say the same things. And that can feel like a pretty awkward thing for a lot of people. And so when you don't really know how to sing, you don't know what to sing, you don't know why we're singing. In fact, you might not even know what some of the words mean. You know, that, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, I don't know what an Ebenezer is. I don't know why I'm singing it. And so you have to, like, open up your phone and look up dictionary.com just to figure out what are the words that we're, we're talking about. And that's hard. The third kind of obstacle is what we call internal things. And what I find most of these have to do with is really just connection. And here's one. And one is a lack of connection to the music. So there are some genres of music I listen to, and I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. And if your church happens to sing a genre of music that kind of just like grinds your soul, like if this was, I don't know, like uh, a country music service, I don't know. I would just be like, oh, it's hard for me to think about worship and country music. I'll listen to it like in my car, but I don't really want to worship. You know, like just have a hard time connecting, connecting to that. Sometimes actually it's just a lack of connection to God. So you, you might be here and you might watch someone and they mean it. I mean, their hand is raised and it's like, the words that are coming out of their mouths, their soul believes. But for you, you feel like it's outside of you. You feel like it's distant. You feel like, like the words are out there. You don't totally understand it. It's not necessarily your soul singing. It's just your mouth kind of singing so you don't look like, you know, weird. And maybe, maybe, it, maybe God's distant because you've never personally trusted in Christ. And, and so if you're here and you've never made a decision to trust in Jesus Christ, God is out there. It is different. From the person who knows him, who is the Holy Spirit, who's trusted in Christ. And when they sing and they worship, it's actually their soul giving praise to God. And so that's, 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 a, that's an internal thing. Sometimes it's just a, a lack of connection to the people who are around you. Um, it is way more fun to sing to God with people I know and love than it is with a group of strangers. But doggone it, if I'm with a group of strangers, does God still deserve me singing and giving glory and adoration with my words? Absolutely. So I'm gonna sing whether I know you or whether I don't know you. The fourth kind of obstacle is what we would just call sinful things. This would be like insecurity, where your eyes are not on the Lord, but your brain is just so concerned about the people around you. I remember growing up and then my mom would sing next to me and she wasn't a great singer. I was like objectively way worse. But then I remember thinking these thoughts. I want to sing, but if I sing, she might think I'm like, I don't know, something's going on. 
or I have three older brothers and I just didn't want to be tormented and abused. And so I was like, if I sing, are they going to say something to me about it? Because when I sing, I don't want everyone talking about it. Leave me alone. You know what I'm saying? And so sometimes this insecurity just gets us and it gets into our brain and it's hard to overcome and we have to just kind of close our eyes and get rid of all the peripheral stuff and just use our words and sing. Uh, Sometimes the sinful thing in us is consumerism. You want a certain kind of music, and if you don't get the kind of music you want, despite whether or not God calls you to that church or not, you're going to go get it. For some of you, it's a demanding spirit. You require things, and not good things, just preferential things. For some of you, it's a critical spirit. You sit there, and you're like, well, I don't think of this, I don't think of that. I've never met somebody who's like, I want to be friends with a more critical person. Well, it doesn't happen. <laughs> and then for some of you, it could be a broken relationship. That's in the room. Like that, that actually is hard when things are not okay with somebody and your brain is just like all you can think about is them and somehow you, you gotta figure out how to reconcile this so that you can be present and you can give God worship through song with all of your might. So what number two? For the love of God, sing. Okay, uh, Pastor Michael, that's, that I don't know what to do. So what I want to share with you is I think a, a simple framework that can be really, really helpful because some of you don't know at all what you should be doing. Um, and some of you have been doing this for a long time and so you've kind of gotten used to it. So there, there are basically four phases that people go through as they learn how to sing. And by the way, uh, there are four phases as well for learning how to study the Bible, learning how to hear a sermon, learning how to fellowship together. Like I'm just going to apply this though to, to worship music. Phase one is you're kind of new to this, and sometimes you just need to sing the words. But you don't know the melody. You're trying to just get your head around it. You're kind of new to this entire thing. And, and the idea of you singing and thinking simultaneously, that might be actually kind of challenging when you're brand new to this. Sometimes you just need to sing and make the decision to sing, even though there are people around you looking at you and you feel a little bit weird. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, the, next, the next phase is you sing and think through the words. And that as you're singing, you get used to the melody, right? And then you're able to think through the words and, and kind of like, like you just make sense of it and biblical stories start to come to light and, and you're actually thinking about the truthfulness of it and you're reminded of your salvation. This is really, really good. If you're at the place where you are singing and thinking, good job. There's another level though, another phase, if you will, that after you've kind of gotten used to this, it's you sing, think, and you can actually feel the words, this, this ability to actually feel emotions when you sing and praise God and give him adoration, it actually is something that happens over time as you are able to be fully engaged with your voice and your mind with God's people. Your emotions tend to follow at that point. And then the fourth phase is you, you sing, think, feel, and express. Now, everybody expresses differently. Like, I don't have a script for what people do. Like, that's not why. I'm not going to sit here and say, you all need to raise all your hands and get on your knees and clap all the time. That's not what this is about. What this is about is worshiping God with all of your might, expressing adoration and worship in the way that God has made you to do that. And we do this with our voice. We do this with our minds as we think. We do this with our heart and emotions, and we do this with our body. And this is getting closer to the more mature biblical understanding of adoration from God is not just singing a song stoically. We use our mouth, our mind, our hearts, and our bodies in worship. 
So at number three, your worship must go through Jesus. Some of, some of you um, have yet to make a, a decision to trust in Jesus. And I want to just say it bluntly so we don't ever mince words. Worship that pleases God happens through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say it a different way. If you want your prayers and your worship to be received as a sweet-smelling aroma to God, you have to personally trust in Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between us and God. If you want access to the Father, who do you have to go through? You have to go through Jesus. I want to worship our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the only way that I will be able to do that is if I've made a personal decision to trust in Christ. I have never met somebody who was trying to worship and said, I hope my worship gets blocked. Nobody wants that. When you're singing, you want it to go to the ears and the heart of God, and you want him to receive it as a sweet-smelling aroma. And that requires every worshiper to make a personal decision to trust in Christ. And so I want to just say to you as we get to the end of this message, have you personally trusted in Jesus. And I think today is a great moment to do that. Do you believe that Jesus is not just God, but your God? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins on the cross and was raised from the dead? Do you believe that salvation is not by accruing a whole bunch of good works, but it is through faith, through belief, through trusting in Jesus Christ. Have you personally asked God to save you and told him that you believe in him? If you have never done that, I wanna encourage you today, would you trust in Jesus? And here's what he tells you happens. A, your sins are forgiven. B, you have full access to God through faith in Jesus, always and forever. And that when you pray to God, he doesn't just hear you, he helps you. He doesn't just hear you, he responds to you. He forms you. He shapes you, he loves you, he is with you, and he secures you. And so that is a decision you wanna make. I encourage you today, make that decision. If you do decide today that you're gonna trust in Christ, tell somebody you came with. Come talk to one of us up front, and we would love to help you grow in your relationship with God. We'd love to help you figure out, so what is next? So like, what do I do with this? I've heard what you said, Pastor Michael, but do I meet with somebody? How do I read the Bible? Like, what is next? We would just love the honor and privilege to help you take a next step as you follow Jesus. So this time what I wanna do is I wanna invite our musicians to come forward and they're gonna lead us in, in worship. And a couple things, um, we're going to sing a handful of songs together, and if you did not get communion elements when you came in the room, I want to invite you at any time during any of the songs, you can go get those elements there at the column to my right, also to my left, and between the double doors. If you would just hold on to them until the end of the songs, Pastor Dean's going to come up, and he's going to lead us in communion at that time. The first song we're going to sing, it's a song called House of the Lord. And the song, it re recounts powerful acts of God throughout scripture where he intervened. And the chorus says, we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Now do you see that that is not just emotional manipulation, that is actually thoroughly biblical when you understand what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. 
And then the song reminds us of the greatest act of faithfulness in human history, Jesus Christ willingly dying on the cross for our sins and the Father raising him from the dead. And I love how this, how, it, how it, uh, the bridge, it says, we were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we are running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. So Village Church, I wanna invite you to stand and let's sing together.